Welcome to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'll be your host, the Healthy Voyager, Carolyn Scott. Thanks for tuning in to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'm your host, Carolyn Scott Hamilton, the Healthy Voyager. Now, today's show is one that I've been very anxious to do for some time. Not only is it one of the fastest growing epidemics, but it's a topic of large contention. Autism now affects somewhere around one in every 110 kids, I think. Uh, the numbers kind of always change. They're always changing in, in different uh, reports, but those numbers are growing every day. Um, some say that the numbers have grown in the recent past only because we've been able to pinpoint a disorder that was misdiagnosed for years, while others call it an epidemic. But regardless of what it is, it exists, and treatment is absolutely necessary to help these children and families who struggle with it every day. Um, one of the more heated points of contention are the causes of autism. Uh, many have pointed the finger at vaccines, while others claim it's genetic. Uh, and this opens up a ginormous can of worms of how to treat the disorder. Uh, if it's environmental toxicity causing it, some want to treat it naturally with diet and detoxing, while others rely on traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals. Well, if you're listening to this show, you can bet you're flying pigs that I uh, wholeheartedly stand by the natural treatments that uh, rest heavily on changing their diet, um, nutritional supplementation, and detoxification of these children and, and folks who suffer from autism. Um, and my guests today are heroes in this field, so I'm really, really excited to have them on um, because autism is a topic that is very close to my heart. My cousin and my niece on my husband's side, um, they're both autistic, um, in fact, uh, using opposite forms of treatment. So I can attest that the natural root reaps benefits uh, beyond all else. There is absolutely no comparison when you see it by side by side, really. I mean, it's unbelievably mind-blowing. Uh, and this battle may go on forever, but the folks who believe in the natural way are really making strides and not letting up by any means. Uh, I can only hope that in years to come we can obliterate autism and prevent it once and for all. With time and research and education and compassion, I know many will benefit from what these people that fight for this cause are doing. And it's heartbreaking for so many, not just for ch the children, but for the whole family. And to see your child recover from this isolating disease can really be the glue that binds to get them to that point. So there's so many marriages that end in divorce in families with autism, um, bank accounts depleted due to the outrageously expensive treatments, as well as uh, loss of work due to uh, more time having to be spent with your child and therapies and all sorts of things. But today's guests will shed some light on alternative therapies and treatments and tips on how you or someone you know can not only reverse the effects of autism, but can save you money uh, and time for you as well as your family. And you're not alone, um, and there's so many wonderful options out there that are simpler than you think if uh, you or someone you know is, is suffering um, from autism or, or has a child that has autism. So um, I'm excited to really get this conversation started with our guests. So please stay tuned as after the break I will be chatting with Candace McDonald of Generation Rescue, Jenny McCarthy's Generation Rescue. Very exciting. Please come back. The odds of becoming a signed artist and having three number one albums? One in 100 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. And the odds of this performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One 
in 150. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My first guest is the Vice President of a phenomenal organization that helps those with autism called Generation Rescue. To tell us a little bit more about the foundation as well as all the great stuff that they're doing and how we can get involved is Candace McDonald. Hello, Candace. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you today. Yes, I'm very, very anxious to have our listeners hear what you have to say and tell us about all the wonderful things you guys are working on. It's such a, an important topic to me and, and to so many, and what you guys are doing is great. So this is exciting for me, for sure. Yeah. So, it, oh, sorry. I was going to say, tell us a little bit more about what Generation is, uh, Generation Rescue is, um, what they're involved with, and um, for those who don't know, how it all began. Sure, absolutely. Um, so Generation Rescue was founded in 2005 by a couple, Lisa and J.B. Hanley, their parents who have a son with autism. And um, the organization primarily started out as a website that was uh, a resource for families who were interested in finding out about alternative therapies for autism. Since then, um, it's grown into an international organization helping families in 39 countries around the world. And so um, we have many different programs available to families, but um, through our website, um, through Rescue Angels, through grant programs, and, um, and then also we're funding research currently um, into the causative factors of autism as well. So we've really expanded over the past um, five years to uh, encompass and um, you know, help families because so many are now affected with autism. For sure. For the numbers just keep growing. What, I, I, the last time I read, I think it's 1 in 110 children. Is that kind of where it's hovering right now? Yeah, that's where it's hovering. That's the statistics from the CDC, and it's 1 in 70 boys currently. It affects more wow. boys than it does girls. Um, so, you know, a lot of um, families are obviously affected by it, and then even families that aren't know someone that is affected by it. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think I know anyone who doesn't know someone firsthand um, that is suffering from autism, the, the child or the family. So for a new family just receiving this news that their child is indeed autistic, what are some of the programs you have available for them, and how are they able to take advantage of those programs? Sure. Um, one of um, the best programs that we have is a parent mentor program, and we call them um, we call these parent mentors rescue angels. And we have 1,400 of them around the world. And what they do is they refer services and they help families access local resources, such as finding a physician, a support group, or learning about an individual IEP plan um, for their child for school. So these are all um, reachable via our website, which is generationrescue.org. Families can go on there. They can search for a rescue angel um, by city, state, or by um, child symptoms. If, so if their child has similar symptoms um, to another child, they can contact that mentor and ask for suggestions and help. That sounds pretty incredible, especially for so many people who don't know where to turn once they've gotten the news. Yeah. Very, very helpful. 
The mentoring so, program is wonderful. And we also have one other program um, that's really helpful for new families, um, mm -hmm. for families that are interested in um, trying biomedical treatment but can't afford it. We have a program where we provide uh, two physician visits, dietary supplements, lab testing, um, nutritional counseling, and we give them a mentor as well. Um, and we do a 90-day program with the families um, to get them started on the road of biomed that gives them a jump start so they can learn um, how to go, how to start this path because it's very overwhelming at times. And um, we have those applications online on our website. And um, if families qualify, uh, we fund um, families four times a year. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Now, for people who don't know, what exactly is the biomed treatment like? What does it entail? Um, so. It's a medical protocol that treats the physical ailments and symptoms of autism through a change in diet, through vitamins and supplements, detoxification, um, and physical and behavioral therapy. So it's really looking at what the underlying symptoms are of the child, so their sicknesses. How does that differ, or is it the same as the DAN approach? What is that, that is the same as the DAN approach. As the, and what does DAN stand for? Um, it stands for Defeat Autism Now, and those are physicians who are trained specifically to treat children with autism. Um, you know, there's approximately 1.5 million children in the U.S. right now, and there's only a little over 500 doctors who are specifically trained to treat kids with autism, and those doctors are the DAN ones. Wow, and how would someone find a doctor like that? Uh, where are they, you know, is that just easily found online? Yeah. Um, on our website, um, we actually have a link that says find a doctor now. And they can go on there and there's a listing by state of all the physicians who can specifically treat um, their child's uh, ailments. That's a pretty staggering number that there are only 500 that are qualified or certified to to take this on, then it's pretty sad for folks who don't live nearby a Dan doctor. Right, it is. One of the great things about our grant program, um, however, is that we will find a physician that's near them or we actually will send the family to the doctor. We will take care of that um, because it's so important that they see a, a doctor who can treat, you know, a lot of children with autism have stomach issues and other ailments, so it's very important for those um, children to see the specific doctor who can treat those needs. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that makes all the difference, I would imagine, for sure. So I believe this wholeheartedly, and this is something that Generation Rescue claims as well, that autism is reversible. Has it been t a tough road to promote and get folks behind such, an, such alternative approaches and claims? And how does Generation Rescue continue to combat any negativity towards, you know, these kind of claims? Sure. I think, um, you know, Anything that maybe strays a little from the norm is um, probably <laughs> people think is a little bit more difficult to get people behind. But, you know, we have our families and we have the stories of um, the families. You know, we just had a recent grantee call us and tell us that their 11-year-old son said, Daddy, for the first time ever um, wow. because he changed his diet. He went to a um, gluten-free and casein-free diet. And he said, Daddy, for the first time in 11 years. So we have that anecdotal evidence from families, and we have mm -hmm. that from thousands of families that have been helped um, you know, over you know, the past five years. So we know that what we're doing is, 
is right, and we're seeing it um, in families all the time, and not just from the diet, but also from supplementation and detoxification. And so um, that makes it that much easier. And when you video this and you have the before and after of the children, it becomes that much more compelling to the you know mainstream population. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't believe anyone could sit there and deny that or just say, oh, well, that's a fluke when there's so many yeah. that are improving because of what you guys are promoting. Yeah, there's, you know, a lot. We, um, in the grant program, the families are required to fill out what's um, called an autism treatment evaluation checklist, and it goes over four different specific areas of um, function that are uh, I would say weakened in kids with autism. And so we do this pre-grant and post-grant, and um, all of the kids that we have funded have improved by at least 20 points, which means they've had improvement in social interaction, in communication, and in physical um, disabilities as well. So it's, it's really quite amazing to see the improvements that the kids are having. And because of that, it makes, um, you know, it, makes it easy for GR to continue to push um, you know, for funding for our grants and for our families. Yeah, I can imagine. So because you do a lot of research um, along with the, you know, the philanthropic part of helping the families, how do you guys find the doctors and scientists um, to get involved? Are they handpicked because of their expertise, or did they volunteer because they believe in the project? How does that kind of come about? Um, the, our science advisory board has been uh, handpicked because of their expertise, and then we also have other um, physicians who are interested in um, being a part of our either programming or some of the research that we're doing. So it's a combination of both. However, our science advisory board was handpicked by the founders because of their expertise. Excellent. So only the best for you guys. Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about the push to green vaccines. I know that's one um, of your many programs that you're, you're doing here, here at Generation Rescue, but this is one that I know you guys are behind, and I know Jenny McCarthy's been a, a big voice behind this, uh, this push. What's, what's the green that your vaccine's all about? Right, really what we're after is just taking out the toxins from the vaccination. Um, and what that is is taking out the formaldehyde and um, the thimerosal that might be left in some of them still and the things that are really causing the neurological damage. And so we're not anti-vaccine and we're not saying don't vaccinate because we're the actual community that did vaccinate all of our children. And Ooh. so we just want something that's clean for the kids and for the future generations because there has never been a research study done on unvaccinated versus vaccinated children, but there's enough anecdotal evidence to show that the vaccines are causing some type of harm to the children. And is all this information on your website as far yes. as on which our home, ones? Yeah, on our homepage, there's a link called Vaccines. You can go on there and you can see what the schedule is now, what the schedule was in the 80s, what our schedule is versus other countries around the world, um, and then what is actually in every vaccine that the children are getting today. Yeah, I, I took a quick look at it, and it's ludicrous the amount of, of vaccines they're asking children to, to get before you know a year old. Yes. It's when in the 80s it was you know between 10 and 12, and now it's up over 35. 
And it's for all kinds of ridiculous things that no one gets anymore anyway. Right. Well, <laughs> or they're claiming there might be a small outbreak, which, you know, there are still small outbreaks. And, you yeah. know, we're not saying don't vaccinate for anything. There's definite things that you want to vaccinate against. But it's really just educating the population on making the right choice for their family in terms of, you know, is it better to get the chicken pox and, and build up their immunity or is it better to get the shot? You know, which one right. is the right one for their family and weigh the, weigh the, weigh the, um, the pros and cons of each. And have you seen that uh, more vaccine companies have started to remove these toxins? And are there companies that specifically have greener, healthier vaccines now? Not yet. There's nothing mm. yet. There was a push um, for the MMR was being um, separated into three shots. Mm. And um, they then took that off the market. However, now there has been um, kind of like a backlash, and there's talk that possibly they could be um, delivering that again in 2011. With um, instead of a three-in-one vaccine, it would be three separate shots. But and we then, haven't heard of anything being confirmed. Yikes! And that MMR is mumps, measles, rubella. Correct. Wow. Okay. Well, they better get to it. <laughs> uh, obviously, this is a charity, and, and charity means fundraising. How can our listeners get involved, and can you tell us about some of the, the really great events that you guys have coming up that benefit uh, GR? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, we always, you know, welcome anyone to get involved. If anyone is out there um, that's a parent of a recovered kid, we'd love you to become a rescue angel and be a mentor for the other families. Um, if uh, someone is interested in holding a local little fundraiser in their area, we have um, all of that online, how to do that, and we actually have someone um, here on staff who helps um, with that. We have, I'd say, close to 150 member fundraisers a year that support the foundation, and we're so gracious. It's oftentimes, um, the families that we've helped decide to do a bake sale or something to give back to us. Um, and then at the um, and then for us, our main event that we're doing this year is actually on September 11th. It's a comedy show we're doing in San Francisco that Jenny's hosting. Um, we have the comedians of uh, Chelsea Lately from her round table and Gary Valentine. Um, and it's a stand-up comedy night for kids with autism, and it's benefiting GR. And all the information for um, that is also on our website. The event's called Comedy for Kids. Fun. And that's in San Francisco, you yes. said? Yes, it's in San Francisco at the Palace of Fine Arts on September 11th. Fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. And for, for good reason. Yes. Now, <laughs> since we're in some, on summer break and kids are home from school, and in a few short weeks they're going to be getting ready for back to school, do you have any tips for families who have children at home with autism, I would imagine it's kind of tough to have them off of their school schedule now and then to kind of transition them back into their regular, you know, fall school schedule. Yeah, a lot of families, I mean, I think parents know this, you know, uh, best that with kids with autism, it's all about a routine. Um, mm -hmm. And so the routine is, for the most part, is what makes them feel comfortable and safe. And so, um, you know, it's easing into the new routine and, and doing what's right for their family because the routine is different in many cases for every child. But it's, it's keeping to a routine that they're used to, for sure. 
Excellent. Yeah, I, know, I can imagine it's it's quite a, a struggle with the back and forth over these these few months that they have off and then on. Right. Are there any upcoming projects or initiatives outside of the events coming up for GR in the near future? Um, any more books from Jenny in the works or other neat stuff that you guys are working on? Um, Jenny has a new book coming out in the fall. It's not autism related, though, um, but it's uh, more of her comedic uh, uh, routine. But she has a book coming out in the fall that will um, – She'll be on a book tour in the end of September. And then for GR, um, what we're focusing on right now is we're going to be working on a physician's training um, next year. We're going to try to uh, train mainstream pediatricians on um, helping diagnose autism earlier. That's wonderful. What a great project. Yeah. And when, when is that one starting up? Um, hopefully we'll have all the funding together and we'll be starting that in the second quarter of next year. So speaking of funding, outside of the events that raise money um, for GR, where can our listeners find out more about Generation Rescue and how to get involved or donate? Sure. Um, on our website, generationrescue.org, um, there is a button that says Donate Now. And they can find out everything there on how um, the donations are spent, on if they want to donate to an event or if they want to host an event. And there are there are events pretty much nationwide, correct? Yes, we have events nationwide. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Candice. I can't thank you enough for all the work that you guys are doing over there at Generation Rescue, and I look forward to bigger and better things and more awareness for, for the cause. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks again. Stay with us because after the break, I will be chatting with Dr. Sana Abram. You and your family are connected by routine, and you stick to it. But what if a disaster strikes without warning? What if your day's routine is disrupted, and you can't reach your family? Have you planned for that? Before a disaster turns your family's world upside down, be ready. Get a kit. Make a plan. Be informed. Learn how at www.ready.gov. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Ad Council. Thanks for coming back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My next guest specializes in naturopathic medicine, and she specializes in treating children with developmental and learning disabilities. To give us some insight on her treatments for children with autism, I'd like to introduce to you all Dr. Sana Abram. Hello, Sana. Hi. Thank you for inviting me to be here today. Yeah, I'm very excited. You've come uh, very wonderfully recommended, and uh, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about the treatment of autism in, in children as well as other uh, developmental disabilities. So i um, very happy to have you on the show today for our listeners. Thank you. So how and why did you decide to become a naturopath as opposed to a traditional medical doctor, let's say? Well, interestingly, my first spark and my first interest in medicine in general happened in when I was in college at age 21. I viewed the AIDS quilt that tours around the U.S. It came to my college at UC Santa Cruz. And seeing all the names of children and adults that were 
uh, engraved and embroidered on the quilt really motivated me. It was really moving and uh, really motivated me to want to study preventive medicine. For example, with HIV and AIDS, that's a condition that really can be prevented with education. Mm-hmm. So I kind of sparked an interest in studying public health, and then I looked into pursuing that as a profession and didn't really find it to be the curriculum to be as inspiring. Um, so I started actually working as a, a medical assistant for an OBGYN, a, a gynecologist in New York, and found that women were getting treated for cervical dysplasia and, and conditions, gynecology conditions with surgeries and being prescribed urinary tract infections with antibiotics and seeing a whole cycle where the women weren't given another option for treatment. They were given choice A is do nothing or choice B is have a surgery or this medication that often caused more side effects. They're started, starting to question this whole cycle that women were in where it led to more interventions. So really at that time, I, um, my mother's a midwife and um, also has practiced homeopathic medicine, and she actually sent me a brochure for the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland. I threw it away because it was from my mother. <laughs> and, and then about... About four or five years later, I actually came in a health library, came across it for sure again. So it was really meant to be, um, as I started studying pre-med, that I was supposed to go to school there. Excellent. Yeah, I totally can see how being kind of in that world and seeing how, you're right, you were just given choice A or B and neither one sound that great <laughs> to, to, exactly. to look into new options. Exactly. And when and why did you decide to focus on children? And uh, I know that you mentioned you're working with an OBGYN, but children themselves, and how did that lead to specializing in developmental disabilities? So when I was 18, I lived in Israel for a year between high school and college, and I needed a volunteer opportunity. So I actually called my mother, who lived in Hawaii, and she's a midwife. She suggested I volunteer in the labor and delivery room. So I started, um, I did child care one, two days a week, and three days a week I volunteered in labor and delivery room in a hospital in southern Israel in Beersheba. And there I um, really just felt the connection with, in, you know, I just loved babies. I love babies and young children, and working both at the hospital and the child care center really felt like this was my calling to work with children. Um, and then when I actually started studying naturopathic medicine and then midwifery from that experience in Israel in, um, in the late 90s in, at the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, I really realized that naturopathic medicine can create an ideal um, environment for women in pregnancy because we work on preconception, detoxification, and nutrition in pregnancy. So that actually, I started seeing more children when I started my practice in 2001 with with primarily initially with ADD and ADHD, and then then later on with autism, kids started coming to my practice as more kids were, were diagnosed earlier. Then I actually realized that naturopathic medicine and midwifery is 
the prevent, preventive step to, um, is one step in helping prevent a child with developmental delays. Working on a woman's nutrition during pregnancy to have you know, a plant-based diet, high in phytonutrients and omega-3 rich foods, and ideally even detoxing the woman preconception. Naturopathic medicine is really into detoxification for almost any health condition. So mm-hmm. started kind of putting the two together that midwifery um, and some of the, the nutritional counseling I could do with women while they're pregnant would help ensure a healthy baby. Excellent. And how did you become a Dan-trained doctor, Defeat Autism Now-trained doctor? Um, in 2004, um, an organization called the Pacific Autism Center, which is actually an autism school here in Hawaii. I practiced in my first five years in practice in Honolulu, Hawaii. And they invited a doctor, a group of doctors from Oregon and Florida to present on the Defeat Autism Now approach in Hawaii. So I attended kind of an unofficial DAN conference, but with some of the main speakers from the DAN conference at Alamana Hotel in Hawaii in, in 2004. And a, really, a light bulb went off when I heard that presentation because this doctor presented on treating the gut, mm. detoxifying children of candida and bacteria, and often the, the candida and bacteria can lead to high ammonia levels in the blood that affects the brain and causes almost uh, mental confusion and agitation. And they actually see high ammonia levels in people who have hepatic late-stage liver disease, who have hepatic encephalopathy. So he, he spoke on that. And then another doctor spoke on certain nutrients that helped lower inflammation in the brain. And another doctor presented on detoxification. So I left the conference realizing, as a natural doctor, I'm actually already treating the gut, treating people with nutrients, and detoxifying. So it fit very well with my practice. Mm. Um, so I actually stood up and said, you know, I don't, I'm not trained in the Dan approach yet. However, I'm, I'm happy to start treating children with autism on the island, and I um, will attend a Dan conference. So that, about three months later, I flew to Boston in the spring, and then I flew to L.A. in the fall. And so in one year, you know, caught up and, and did extensive studying of the Defeat Autism Now approach, which uh, it does include a doctor, a two-day physician training before the conference, and then a two-day conference for both parents and doctors. And I would say that the Dan conferences are, I would say, are the best conferences I've ever attended in my entire life. Very high quality, very a balance between scientific and easy to understand concepts, and very well presented. So that it was really incredibly interesting. Yeah, that was a start about six years ago. And um, with our our previous guest, they mentioned that there are only about 500 Dan doctors in the country. Mm-hmm. There still wow. is a need for more. Most, yeah, most Dan doctors are MDs. Mm-hmm. But I would say probably 95%, and then maybe about five, for, maybe five to ten percent of us are osteopathic doctors, chiropractors, and naturopathic doctors. 
But they're also mm-hmm. training um, RNs and nutritionists as well. There's a whole. There's also a nutrition program and certification. Well, it's not technically yet a certification, but there's a nutrition training, um, and there are lists. Um, and I'll speak to and reference later where people can look it up. But there's a website autism.com, and there's a list of doctors within the U.S., doctors internationally, and then also nutritionists and unlicensed practitioners like um, homeopaths or naturopaths who aren't naturopathic doctors listed on the second list. So there are quite a few um, practitioners available in almost every state. But I'd say there's still a need for more because we are seeing more and more numbers of children who are diagnosed. And luckily, kids are diagnosed earlier now. Right, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's definitely some information I'd like to share again You know, later on. Um, because I think there are uh, plenty of our listeners and even myself that would be interested in, in the DAN program. So, yeah, very good information. So tell us about your personal approach um, and combination of therapies for the best possible outcome for a child with autism or even, you know, ADHD or, or any other mental disability. So I have... In my approach, I really take four steps really in this order that I found to be the most successful. The first step really is cleaning up a child's diet. And that first involves removing food allergens and food sensitivities. So I actually do do a blood test, an IgG ELISA food sensitivity test, which is a little bit different than what a pediatrician may do. A medical Mm -hmm. doctor usually orders an IgE food allergy panel. Children may not have hives or anaphylactic reaction to the food, but they may have a more subtle reaction to a food, which we call a sensitivity, which could be inability to digest a food or a food causing a behavioral symptom, such as hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do do a blood test, and most commonly, I would say I would say 99% of my children that I treat with autism and maybe 50% with ADHD and then maybe 30 to 50% with dyslexia have a gluten sensitivity. So they're mm-hmm. sensitive to the protein that's in wheat, barley, oats, rye. And removing that, that um, the peptides or the proteins in the gluten molecule improves eye contact, speech, and behavior. I would say the, mo- the most common symptom that children get when they're exposed to gluten after removing the food is the child bounces off the walls. They're really hyperactive, even from one bite of a cookie. Children can have that severe of a reaction to a food sensitivity. Yeah, I've seen it firsthand. It is incredible how instant the reaction is. Isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Really Thing. Really amazing. So gluten and casein, which is dairy, can um, act like an opiate in the body, so have kind of a drug-like reaction so the child can feel drowsy, foggy thinking, mood swings. You can see severe mood swings and then you know, restless behavior. So um, most important definitely is to start with nutrition and then also removing highly processed foods such mm-hmm. as sugar, food colorings and food additives. Specifically, there's a diet called the Feingold diet that's very successful for children who have ADHD or behavioral defiant, you know, when behavior is a main symptom. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Feingold diet started by Dr. Feingold is, is quite effective. Um, and those children have a, a P, PST, an enzyme deficiency, where they can't break down phenols and salicylates in foods. So that's a, another possibility. So I, the blood test will help customize a diet plan for the child mm -hmm. based on what they're sensitive to. Or parents also can keep a journal of foods that they see that their child might react to to know even if it doesn't show up on the test, it could be a sensitivity. Excellent. So, so uh, whole, you know, um, improving the diet is the first step. And the second is treating the gut. So once mm -hmm. a child is on a healthier diet, often their eye contact, the behavior improves, um, and their sleep gets better. I'd say the number one reason that children wake up at night, and this could be any child, you know, any child, often is either gluten sensitivity or candida or yeast overgrowth in intestines. I, I see that in, I'd say that every single child that I've treated had a sleep disturbance where they wake up frequently during the night, mm -hmm. even, even at age two, even a young child, within two months on their new diet, they sleep through the night, and parents are, are thrilled. <laughs> wow. So, I've even yeah. heard that bed bedwetting can be attributed to that. Yes, bedwetting can be a food sensitivity um, or sometimes yeast or uh, parasite, especially if there's uh, and rec like rectal itching symptoms as well. Mm -hmm. So absolutely can be related to. So, so I would say almost all the children in my practice do have some type of gut imbalance, whether it be a bacteria overgrowth, which is called dysbiosis, or candida infection, yeast, yeast overgrowth in the intestines. And wow, the harm and of, so young. Yeah, young children, yeah. The, har the harm of the bacteria and the yeast are that they, for example, candida interferes with um, vitamin B6 metabolism in the body, and B6 is needed to help um, control dopamine and help regulate dopamine, which is involved in impulsive behavior. So children who are super impulsive may be low in B6, and that may be caused by the yeast overgrowth. Wow. So every, so I mean, I've, the American diet, the average American diet is just full of processed white flour and pastas and sugar. So even a child that is on a gluten-free, casein-free diet that is continuing to consume other crappy processed chemicals will not fully benefit, correct, from just a gluten-free, casein-free diet. It should be an, a well-rounded whole foods diet. Absolutely. I do see a lot of parents come in and they've taken the step to switch the children to gluten and casein-free diet, but they're feeding them a lot, a lot of cookies, pretzels, you know, uh, tapioca bread, white, white, you know, white um, rice pasta, and children no vegetables. often get <laughs> Exactly, no, no veggies, and, and they're eating, um, you know, sausage and eggs and no vegetables. And, and some kids, surprisingly, because I love fruit, having grown up in Hawaii, some kids don't even like fruit, mm. so, and no greens. And those children are eating a lot of higher, carbo a lot of, uh, higher carbohydrates, higher... Um, food colorings, and almost all the GFCA products have some have some cane juice in them and some sugar in them. 
Mm. There is a brand energy that I really like that is more of a whole foods um, that has fr- a fruit juice sweetened rice bread, for example, and a yeast-free bread. So absolutely, children who do have high yeast levels, often the GFCF diet does not, isn't necessarily the, the right diet for them. So um, I definitely counsel, the first step for children, uh, you know, is to lower their their sugar intake, and often I will run a stool analysis or a urine test to confirm candida to show the parents how important it is to be off sugar, because parents need a motivation, because I would say that's the hardest food for a child to avoid. Right, right, especially when it's used as a reward. Oh, if you eat your dinner, you can have a cupcake, that sort of thing. Yeah, it can be tough. (laughs) So one of the most highly contentious claims for people outside of the natural world is that people like us say that it is possible to reverse autism but also to prevent it. And you were saying that, uh, you know, for soon-to-be parents, how to take, you know, prevention tactics, you know, while the child is still in the womb or even before that. Um, what, do you, what do you suggest that people do to really start taking the steps to prevent it before the baby's even, you know, meeting you in person? So, um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of um, one step a parent can take that most parents are not aware of is detoxing prior to getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, consulting with primarily, I would say, a naturopathic doctor or even a David Autism Now doctor. They're trained in working with adults as well in screening a woman for heavy metals. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally about a year before she gets pregnant because if she has high levels of heavy metals, she, the process can take maximum a year, but usually three to six months to slowly chelate through a more aggressive detoxification or through herbs and homeopathic medicines to detoxify the heavy metals from her body. So I would say that's the most important. And then also um, for families to eat you know, a whole foods diet high in fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, which are really rich in antioxidants, B vitamins and minerals and fiber, and really cutting out the, the, the SAD, which we call the SAD, Standard American Diet, mm-hmm. which is really high also in hormones and genetically modified foods. Um, there is a link actually between testosterone level, higher testosterone levels and autism, so, which is the reason that most children who are di- diagnosed are boys. Mm. So I actually think about you know, hormones in meats and that who knows if that could be a contributing factor for children. So eating more of a plant-based diet, you know, vegetarian diet, mm-hmm. um, and then also a diet free of genetically modified foods, corn and soy you know, being the number two um, highest levels of foods in the U.S. that have the highest levels of of genetically modified ingredients. Those in particular, GMO foods, have been linked directly with ADHD. I haven't seen any links in research with autism, but I've definitely seen a link with ADHD. How important is it for the father-to-be to to prepare health-wise? I mean, does does that... uh, contribute largely as well, or is it more the the female preconception? You know, that's a really good question. So technically, heavy metals 
you know, are passed on in utero to mother, um, lead and mercury being most common um, in utero. So it's definitely the priority is for mother to get detoxed. However, we do see in the children that we see, that we treat when we run a urinary organic acid test that children on the autism spectrum have detoxification impairments in their glutathione and methylation mm-hmm. pathways. And those are called polymorphisms, which means that they are actually genetic predispositions to disease. So it actually can be inherited from one of the parents. Mm-hmm. So actually a, a question to ask the parents is, do you have... Um, I would say the risk factors for for a child developing autism are parents who have allergies, autoimmune disease, especially Graves' disease and thyroid disease, but also rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease, Um, chemical sensitivity, so sensitivity to to perfumes and solvents and chemical smells. Those are all possible risk factors. So there's actually a book um, that Dr. Brian Jepson wrote on, on this topic, on the patterns he sees in the immune deficiencies um, in, in parents and how it can possibly be passed on. So the, the adva- I would say the state-of-the-art ideal you know, scenario would actually be to screen both parents to do this um, blood or urine testing for the glutathione and methylation pathways and give the parents B12 and glutathione and detoxify them. So give them, based on the test results, the nutrients they need for their livers to filter the toxins that they've been exposed to currently and in the past and start treating them preconception, both parents, and then also test them for food sensitivities prior to conception. That would be the ideal. And and then to have them also on a whole food plant-based diet. So, and so you suggest for mom and dad to be about a year out before, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting everything ready to, to get prepped, as, you know, in getting the test done and, and getting on a, on a good diet. Absolutely, yes, to see how their detox pathways are looking and to get them on a healthy diet. Because, for example, often I'll test moms maybe three to six months before they um, usually actually want, most often they'll, I have, for example, in my practice, moms who have a child with autism and they, get, and they are planning to conceive any month now or they've just gotten pregnant. So I screen them as soon as possible for their mm-hmm. food sensitivities and then have them take, you know, remove their food allergens. Because, again, that will cause, what we see with autism is brain inflammation. So avoiding... Mm-hmm sensitive foods were lower inflammation in the body. And eating a nutrient-rich, nutrient-dense plant-based diet will increase antioxidants that will lower inflammation in the brain and in the body in general. Because inflammation is the main, the main issue and auto, autoimmune process from toxins. So it's pretty complicated, <laughs> the pathophysiology <laughs> of autism, but it is really a chronic disease. It really is the brain. They find autoantibodies in the brain. Wow, children with autism. So it is pretty serious. Yeah, and for so, sure. But pretty serious, but also incredibly treatable. You know, with your with your treatments, so much so that these kids can kind of quote unquote come out of, you know, 
the, you know, what they've been diagnosed with at the beginning. Absolutely. Just today I saw a little boy who I treated from age two until about four, and he, by four and a half to five, he was about 80% recovered. I just saw him today. He's, he's ha- his only symptom is that he, after being you know, non-verbally autistic and, and spinning in circles when he was two and a half, today the mom said he makes some inappropriate jokes. <laughs> and then she actually said, you know what, I think about it, and I think she, he got that from my husband. <laughs> so she realizes that maybe there is something inher- you know, inherited there. And I said, well, this is either his personality or it's learned, um, or so he just needs more improvement in social skills. So I referred her to a social skills drama class that they have. Oh, fun. Um, for children, yeah, for children, but he's a little bit, he's seven now, and so that, that I, don't think, I think that's for kids in high school, so he has a couple, he has a couple more years to go, mm-hmm. um, so he can join that class, but he's, he's one of my recovered kids, so it is, it is possible. Yeah, it doesn't sound like to too, bad, too bad of a side effect to deal with, right. supposed to, you know, it could be <laughs> so much worse. So what do you okay. suggest to parents who have just received the news um, it, it's got to be quite a blow, and there's so many contradicting, uh, contradicting theories out there. What is your mm-hmm. advice to, to people who are just getting the news and, you know, getting overwhelmed with information? I would say the first step would be to not wait for your pediatrician to make a referral to get an assessment for mm-hmm. a behavioral, with a developmental pediatrician who will give an official diagnosis of whether a child has Asperger's, PDD or autism, and also an assessment for speech and occupational therapy. The combination of those three, behavioral therapy, speech, and occupational therapy, really work in conjunction with the nutritional approach that I'm talking about today. It really does take a full, really focused program to recover a child. Mm. So, so some parents wait till the, you know, till the child's three or four, and because their pediatrician you know, um, isn't aware, you know, uh, that the child is developing symptoms. And then as a, if a child, if a diagnosis is delayed, then services of a child are delayed, a child is less likely to make as much progress. So the sooner the, ch- the, the child's treated, the better. And the mm-hmm. second te- step is just to be really proactive to work with, I believe, really do believe the Defeat Autism Now approach is the most comprehensive holistic approach for children with autism. There are also great homeopathic doctors that just do that just do homeopathy, and that can be in conjunction maybe with a nutritionist if there isn't a Dan doctor in your area. And then also the third would be to join a support group. Mm-hmm. Um, TACA, t- um, talk about curing autism. T A C A dot org, I believe it is, is an excellent resource for parents where they have a resource of other parents, a list of other parents you can call for questions to kind of guide you through the process. Um, There's also an organization called Generation Rescue that has volunteers called Generation Angels that volunteer their time uh, as parents to help support new parents in the process. Excellent. So I know you said you practice in Hawaii. Are you able to assist folks who don't live where you practice? And if not, where would you suggest they search for 
uh, I, I know you said that uh, the Dan doctors are found online, um, but if you do, you refer other you know families and children to Dan doctors if you aren't able to help them um, if they don't live where you practice. Absolutely, I, I practice in the San Francisco Bay Area, in Walnut mm-hmm. Creek and Albany, and in Honolulu, Hawaii, and. Legally, we can't treat children without seeing them at least once in person. So mm-hmm. I do have families, I had a family fly from one of the outer islands to Honolulu, a 20-minute flight over to see me here the first time, and then we'll follow up on the phone. So mm-hmm. for parents who are outside of the areas that I practice, autism.com is the Autism Research Institute's website. And if you click on Find a Dan Doctor, there's a list of licensed practitioners in every state. And um, parents do travel. Parents do travel if they find through word of mouth a doctor that they feel a connection with or they've heard would be really good for their son. There are a lot of children from Hawaii, uh, families from Hawaii that travel to California or even Florida or Texas to see Dan doctors specialize, for example, in gastroenterology or, or um, digestive imbalances. What's your take on, and this is obviously one of the most contentious topics um, regarding autism, your take on vaccines and, you know, people opting not to vaccinate, people pushing to vaccinate, and then others pushing to detoxify vaccines. How much do you believe that vaccines contribute to possibly, um, you know, causing autism? I would say vaccines absolutely play a role in contributing to the condition of autism. I know that recently uh, many studies have not proven a connection between mercury and vaccines and autism. They've done studies in several different countries. And then there's a lot of debate going on about the MMR study by Dr. Andrew Wakefield. Mm. However, given that, there's absolutely no question that almost every single child, and again, I'm working on you know, keeping statistics um, in my practice, has had some type of vaccination reaction or some type of regression after a combination of vaccinations. But I, I really do feel that it is one factor that's stressing a child's liver and immune system in combination with all the toxins in our environment today. Right, that's absolutely. Why pesticides, deductions, heavy metals, PCBs, in our air, in our water, in our food. Um, toys now are, are contaminated with lead um, and, and certain foods. There was a study recently that showed apple, so- apple juice and applesauce had lead in it, and cadmium has been replaced um, as a, in the paint on toys rather than in, in place of lead. So we're, our bodies are bombarded. And that really is a pattern that I see certain people cannot filter out, um, um, you know, pesticides, heavy metals, and other solvents. Their liver can't filter them out. Those are the children that are at risk for autism. And what at do you risk think, for a vaccination reaction. Those what do you suggest to, for families who are, are, are afraid of not vaccinating um, their children, which is, you know, a huge thing right now, especially if you want to enroll in school, you have to have your, your whole schedule done. Um, what do you suggest for people who are afraid of vaccinating but 
feel they have to, what do you normally suggest that they do um, when they're kind of teetering on it? To um, meet with a naturopathic doctor, a chiropractor, a homeopathic doctor, or a DAN doctor to do vaccination counseling, to really look mm-hmm. at each vaccine individually, what, mm-hmm. what risk the child has for developing that disease, um, and compare that and weigh that um, with the risk of the ingredients in the vaccine. For example, the varicella, or the chickenpox vaccine, the MMR are live viruses. So if a child has an immune deficiency and they get sick a lot, they might be at a higher risk of developing a reaction to those vaccines. Those two also have um, egg as the main carrier or ingredient in vaccines. If a child has an egg allergy, they should not receive the uh, live virus vaccines, and that's documented in, in the medical literature. So we will, we will find, um, we will do testing. We'll do food, food allergy testing to look for egg allergy. There's a new lab that's doing um, a blood test to see if a child actually has an, an um, allergic reaction to mercury or, or aluminum, which mm-hmm. is aluminum is now the main ingredient in the Hib and the DTaP vaccine. So you actually measure where the child might have a reaction to those to look at um, whether a child uh, is could be at risk for developing a vaccine reaction. Those tests can be done prior to the vaccine to help just a parent decide if there is a bigger risk to getting vaccinated than to not. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's uh, it's scary for a lot of parents who are hearing from their regular pediatricians that know they have to do it in the schools or you're requiring it and, you know, but, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right to be proactive and really be in the know of what you're doing I think is, is key and to do what's right for, because what's right for one kid isn't right for the other, so. Absolutely. And California does have a philosophical exemption to vaccinations. Hawaii here does not. We have a religious exemption and a medical exemption. So a child in California could receive either a philosophical exemption or actually a medical exemption. So if we do a blood test and we find a child's allergic egg at age five, they may not need to get their second MMR vaccine. Also, mm. we can measure titers or antibodies to the measles, mumps, and rubella. And many child, after having just one shot, are immune and they don't need the second shot. Their body has developed, mounted enough of a protection to measles, mumps, and rubella from one injection. So there's a lot that parents um, can, can, a lot of information parents can receive by reading Dr. Sears' The Vaccine Book. has a lot of great information in it. And then also really working with a doctor that has knowledge about some of the te- you know preventive testing to screen who might who might react. Also, a naturopathic doctor, Dan doctor, or homeopathic doctor can give a child homeopathic medicines or supplements to detoxify the child after the vaccine. Mm. So that child may have an advantage over another child who who doesn't receive the vitamin C and the homeopathics that help the liver and the kidneys flush out. The preservatives, because again, the key for for many kids is that they're reacting to the preservatives in the vaccines that build up in their bodies, and not to the actual bacteria or virus itself. 
how close do you think we are or a company is to creating natural vaccines that don't have these toxins? Do you think that's ever going to happen or uh, are we close right. to that? <laughs> um, I would, I would like, I would hope, I would like to hope so, but I, I don't, I don't foresee that. Um, mm. I know that, I know that Jenny McCarthy is very involved in advocating, you know, green, we're calling them green vaccine, vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't foresee that. I mean, the, the manufacturers have, have a, a rationale for using, using preservatives such as aluminum, not only as a preservative vaccine, but also as an adjuvant, meaning it helps the, the immune system recognize that bacteria or virus to make the vaccine more effective. So they have a rationale for using certain ingredients, and I would I would like to hope that that these would be made green, but I don't foresee that happening in the near future. <laughs> so right now it's just being proactive, doing the research, and working with a dance certified doctor or a naturopath to help Absolutely. detox. You know, after those are all wonderful tips, though. I think they're very very helpful, especially for parents that are kind of on the fence. Right. Right. So where can we find out more? Yeah, for sure. Where can we find out more about you um, for folks to book appointments, um, phone consults, etc.? My website is drthana.com, www.drthauna.com. And there's a link there to my contact information in the San Francisco Bay Area. So parents can call there or look at the website to schedule. Excellent. And you help out with mommies and daddies to be as well as when the kids come along, correct? Absolutely. About half of my practice is children treating children with developmental delays, and the other half is women pre, doing preconception detoxification, dads coming in, also just with allergies or high cholesterol. I have a full family practice and treating Excellent. women also with hormonal imbalances. And how often do you go back and forth through your three practices so that people who may not live in either three know when to kind of show up in that area when they specifically want to see you? Um, I practice um, two days a week in Walnut Creek, California, two days a week in Albany, California. So I'm there the majority, eight months of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, or actually closer to about nine months of the year. And then I spend two to three months in Hawaii per year in July and December. Excellent. Good to know. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I am. I was so enthralled with what you had to say, and I hope that uh, our listeners will uh, take some of this information to heart and start to be a little proactive, especially parents that are, uh, or parents-to-be or people planning to be parents soon, as well as those who are kind of struggling with the new news. So uh, I loved what you had to say today, and I'm so looking forward to to uh, hopefully working more with you with uh, the Healthy Voyager. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. Don't go anywhere, people, because we will be right back.
I knew I was stuck at this kid's house for the night, but those guys snuck up on me to try and pull the hand in a bowl of warm water trick. Well, that was enough for me. I went downstairs to sleep in the basement, even though it was pitch black. I left my sleeping bag upstairs, and that was a mistake, because it was freezing. I think it was probably the longest night of my life. To read more about the sleepover, check out Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw, by Jeff Kenny. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library, and visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. All right, so we're just about to wrap up this week's Healthy Voyager Radio. Be sure again to visit generationrescue.org as well as drthana.com. That's D-R-T-H-A-U-N-A.com for more information on therapies, programs, and all-around great information regarding autism. Uh, If you or someone you know is struggling with the news um, or haven't had success with their current treatments, send them to these sites. Uh, And make sure you join me next week for another great show. Another wonderful topic, favorite of mine to chat about. We'll be chatting with uh, the producer behind the incredible film due out very soon, Forks Over Knives, as well as with PCRM. Um, That's the Physicians Committee of Responsible Medicine. So I'm very excited. Two of my most favorite go-to tools in my arsenal when it comes to promoting the importance uh, and out-of-this-world health benefits of a plant-based diet. So do yourself a favor and don't miss this show. Plus, it's my last show before I take a little bit of a summer break and I come back in the fall with uh, a lot more great guests. So please join us next week for a great show um, before my little break. Uh, as for me, of course, you can um, always follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm Healthy Voyager. On Facebook, you can join my fan page. Uh, YouTube, you can check out my channel. And of course, HealthyVoyager.com. So even though I may be taking a little break from the show in August, um, there's always going to be new content, new information, new information, and new videos on the website, healthyvoyager.com. So check that out. Join the social networking part of uh, healthyvoyager.com and meet other like-minded folks on the site, as well as signing up for the newsletter so you can take advantage of coupons and all sorts of great deals that non-subscribers um, don't get to play around with. So be sure to do that. Again, I'd like to thank Candace McDonald as well as Thana Abron one more time for all of their great information today. Be sure to check out podcasts, um, past shows on HealthyVoyager.com under the shows section as well as on iTunes and Zoom, and you can subscribe there so that it always pops up in your iTunes and on your iPod so you can check it out uh, at your leisure. And uh, before we head out, I'm going to place out with a song by the one and only Alanis Morissette another talented vegan in the celebrity menagerie of plant-based pop stars. She's still making some awesome tunes as well as taking a stab at some acting. More recently, she was in the last season of Weeds and hopefully coming back for another, so I'm excited to see her on that. In the meantime, you can check her out and all her music and any news going on with her at alanis.com, A-L-A-N-I-S.com. All right, well, thanks again for joining me today. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week before a much-needed summer break. And enjoy Giggling Again for No Reason by Alanis Morissette. Bye. I am driving in my car up Highway 1. I left L.A. without telling anyone. There were people who I'm sure they'll get along fine on their own.